Linky Land is organized in corners. You've got corners for sales and for tech and for lawyers and for writers. In this episode, I'm taking you deeper into the corner where it all began for me. My first corner of Linky Land. Hey, this is Tony and welcome to another episode of In Linky Land a podcast about the power of creating and connecting on LinkedIn. And indeed, uh, this episode takes me way back, way back to 2022, where uh, I guess 2021, I first started paying attention to LinkedIn in a new way when I was getting out of the practice of law and was starting to work in nonprofit consulting. And my CEO said, you need to learn how to do LinkedIn. I said, fine, I'll learn. Um, my intention when I started posting more, you know, I had had an account for 12 years or so, had never posted. Say, um, I use the word meaningful. That might be a little harsh. Let's say I never posted something that wasn't simply sharing a job announcement uh, or a company announcement, really. Uh, And when I started doing it toward the end of 2021, my goal was to start to build up a body of content and a presence on the platform in a way that would help me get meetings with nonprofit leaders. Because essentially I was in a business development role in a sales role uh, where we were trying to uh, work with nonprofit organizations on like software implementations or uh, strategic planning processes. So I, and I say that I got into the nonprofit corner of LinkedIn. I also got into the creativity corner, which was like a very little esoteric corner that that started it all for me. Um, But today we're talking about the nonprofit corner and I'm, I'm being joined by Mitch Stein and Tanya Bhattacharya, two truly delightful people to people who are um, both in that social impact slash nonprofit uh, part of the the platform. And I, I think of it as one that has some really wonderful people. It remains fairly small. It's another one of these industries that has yet to adopt the platform in a big way. I think that will be changing as I believe it's going to be changing in in a lot of other industries over the next couple of years. Uh, But Tanya runs uh, Lumos Marketing. Uh, She also has a podcast uh, called The Campfire Circle. And she uh, does a, a number of different things. But what I most know her for is for her work around helping nonprofit leaders develop their reputations as thought leaders. And part of how she does that is helping uh, people leverage LinkedIn in better ways. And uh, she's one of my teachers when it comes to, I want to say not so much like the tactics of how to use LinkedIn, but how to approach the platform in a way that is nourishing uh, and in a way that helps helps other people engage with you in a way that feels good. Tanya is an awesome example of how to do this thing well. Uh, Mitch, Mitch, actually, when when we were arranging this uh, conversation, he was the CEO of a platform called Pond, which was I think of it, I think they may have described it as like Airbnb for (laughs) nonprofits and vendors. So as I was on the platform as a vendor uh, where you could send messages and set up meetings with organizations. Um, unfortunately, the the company has shut down as of December. We do get into that a little bit, but um, you know, Mitch has a background in finance before starting Pond. And I'm confident that, well, hell, by the time you're hearing this, uh, he very well maybe on to his next adventure, but we caught him in that liminal space. Uh, But he was using LinkedIn in some really interesting ways uh, while building Pond. So in this conversation, um, we spend a fair amount of time on 
our approach to how to make content. Uh, we talk about the nonprofit industry and some of the reasons that folks over there are uh, maybe a little reticent to to engage or just don't understand how to effectively leverage LinkedIn, like so many other industries. I think it will really apply, and 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 the the wisdom and insights coming from Tanya and Mitch, I think can resonate pretty much regardless of where you work. Uh, I do want to apologize. We had some internet issues early on, so I think some of the audio is a little bit jacked up we'll see we'll see how much uh, magic avery our editor needed to work to to make it pretty for you but uh let's get after it tanya and mitch in linky land mitch tanya thank you for joining me for a conversation uh this one you two have the the pleasure of being people who i floated invitations to months ago back when I had, had just gotten started with this thing and was I for some reason just excited about asking people if they'd be interested and then they, everybody said yes in a way that created this this backlog anyway I'm I'm glad that we've made it happen um it's great to talk to both of you and let's start off with uh just intros of who you are, where you are, and let's say when it comes to what you do or what you talk about on LinkedIn, um, what is it you care about or focus on? My name is Mitch Stein. Um, I've had a bit of a pinball career that's bringing me to this moment, but I was an investment banker for seven years, decided to leave and uh, about three years ago, and try my hand at my own startup and built a tech platform connecting nonprofits with all the best software services and, and training to power their missions um, called Bond. We worked on it for about three years and just ended up sunsetting the platform last month. And so I'm on to new adventures, but was super active on LinkedIn through that whole process. I went from not touching the platform all to it being kind of a part of my daily life and career and a number one primary driver of the business we were running. So learned a lot and made, become a huge believer and love talking about it. Yeah, perfect setup. Um, I'm Tanya Bhattacharya and I am from Orange County, California in Southern California. And what I talk about and really what I care about is, you know, encouraging more historically underestimated and over and to step into their role as thought leaders, which is really becoming good voices in their community. And the reason I care about that, I see time and time when that happens, it sparks social impact, right? It moves the world to more. And that whole thing really stems from my career in nonprofit, as a nonprofit executive director, which I'm sure we end up talking about, and also partnering with women who are in early recovery from substance disorder, being a storytelling partner for them. So that's, that's all right. I'm going to pause us for one second where I think our audio quality has been pretty good. My video keeps, are, are your videos good? Like y'all are good, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, one second. I'm going to, well, y'all are moving now. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good sign. Yeah. So. Well, I'll just keep waving so you can yes. <laughs> tell us <what's> yeah, <laughs> stay in motion. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on over here. What, what I'm dealing with, but I, it looks like we're, we're in good shape. Yeah, I don't like. I said the time of day can get a little wonky, but mm -hmm. usually coming inside takes care of it. And then I don't know. It's snowing. I don't like, mm -hmm. and I, I, um, living in the, in the country has been really nice. There is, it's mostly all upsides for us so far, but the internet is, we need to get the Starlink. I think that's what yeah. we need to do. <laughs> it, Mitch, I do like what you just said about how like 
people in the space are there because they want to uh, to have a positive impact. And I definitely think that way about both of you, uh, where I've appreciated your positivity and and your generosity in the way that you show up. And is I'm interested to to dig in a little bit on so like the three of us have been so working in the nonprofit space uh while our LinkedIn presences are not actually us working for nonprofit organizations. So I'm I'm interested in digging in a little bit on uh kind of what 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 Pond was doing and Tanya what you do with Lumos uh and and then I'm I'm also interested in unpacking uh, one of those dynamics you touched on there, Tanya, about as a nonprofit director, um, you're so networked, like you're you're pulled in so many directions. There are so many opinions coming at you from so many different directions, um, and then kind of, I feel like that's central to or at least it's a, a a piece of why the LinkedIn corner for nonprofits is as quiet as it is. Mm-hmm. But um, as an in there, let's, let's dig into kind of what you do in that space. Should I go first? Sure. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Well, you know, if we rewind it a little bit back to like mm, March 2020, not that we, not that any of us want to rewind it back to there. Um, I was still working. I was a nonprofit ED at that time. I was in the mental health care addiction treatment space. And so there was sort of a triple pandemic going on, right? There was the actual pandemic. There was this um, overdue racial reckoning that was happening. And there was this increased mental, like in hugely increased severity and in mental illness that was happening. And so the calls we were receiving as a, you know, residential addiction treatment center were so um, were so advanced in their in the severity of their illness of their substance use disorder, and so there was just so much happening. Is what I'm trying to say. Everywhere I looked around, there were nonprofit professionals, there were leaders, right, showing up and like rooting into their lived experience and leading people through imperfectly. And so, yet as I looked around, I didn't always see folks who look like me behind those podiums, right? Or, you know, in the, in the news article, you know, in, in the different spaces where we, where we accrue recognition and influence and power. And so I said, Hmm, you know, what is it about that? And as I look back at my lived experience, I know I struggled with a lot of imposter thoughts, a lot of feeling like, man, I'm the only person who I'm the youngest person at this table. I'm the only woman at this table. I'm the only Brown person at this table. And that happened more often than it, than it didn't. And so over time, I, you know, internalized this feeling of like, well, what is it that I have to say? And I can I say it better than anyone else can? Probably not. So I would not necessarily put myself out there when I was in the nonprofit ED role. The other thing too, about being in the nonprofit ED role, which you really um, like alluded to, Tony, is you've got a lot of relationships that you're needing to manage. And so I have been in the position where I put something out there that I thought was relatively innocent. It was a, you know, a, a post in support of Planned Parenthood. They do women's health care. We did women's health care. But some of our donors got very upset about it. And so, yeah, there's a lot of voices that we're dealing with. Some of our some are our own. Some are others that we have to kind of manage as we put ourselves out there in service of our mission, because it's never really about promoting ourselves. It's about, you know, shining a light on the mission that we have. And so that's why I think it's pretty cool that the three of us are adjacent to the nonprofit field, but we're not necessarily like repping a organization per se, um, because it's not so much about the organization always. It's about the mission. It's about what we do. And it's about the vision that we have for the future. And I think as we share content that's rooted in that vision, um, will attract those people to us who, who, who fit into our world. And so I think you had asked like, really, what is it that I do? Should I, should I share more about like the, what I do, or are you wanting to more about like the overall picture? Yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear you unpack what you do a little more. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, Mitch and I were kind of shooting the breeze before we started this and like, like it's such a, it's such a um, emergent process of figuring out what services we're going to offer. Um, it's, 
a little bit of a roller coaster. It's a little bit of a like magic eye picture where you like look at it funny and different things emerge. Um, but what I have really done is since I started my business, I'm starting year three, um, is I've really rooted into helping people like start using LinkedIn sometimes for the first time, sometimes using it more deeply, but really using LinkedIn to share why they do what they do, share the story behind what they do, um, use LinkedIn to build relationships that will turn into a, you know, like a community that will support them and whatever it is that their mission is. And then finally putting there that demonstrates how they can be helpful, what they're about, lessons learned to hopefully not only, you know, getting clients as part of it, but I have found that it's about like creating community that's passionate about the just future that you're trying to create. So really it's all about using LinkedIn to create and imagine and, you know, like manifest a more just future. Right on. Mm. And Mitch, how about you? I just would like to start off by saying that I fully believe in Tanya's manifesting capabilities. So I'm glad that you're manifesting a more just future for all of us. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll just make a couple observations too about, like you said, nonprofit usage and, and I'm sure there's a lot of sectors or industries that might, or subsectors that might think, well, no one in my industry really uses LinkedIn because they don't see a lot of people writing. And I think everyone does, like everyone's there. So I would just say that that's, I think, a common myth that I hear. Um, I do think that anyone that's providing a service or product to the LinkedIn sector, to the nonprofit sector is understandably more active on LinkedIn. And so that does tend to be where you hear more voices and more volume. Um, and there are also just a huge number of people that work in the space who also have a side business or offering or do some kind of like consulting um, to supplement what can often be lower income. And there's a huge demand for that kind of part-time and contract work in the space as well. Um, so those are just some like interesting LinkedIn dynamics that I observe. Um, and then I would just say on, on the lower usage, it ties into what Tanya was saying, but it's a relatively risk averse space um, where it's more about avoiding downside risk than pursuing, you know, taking risks to pursue some big upside because there isn't upside in the traditional sense in the same way that we see in other kinds of work and businesses. Um, and so, and I think this leads to um, just people some complaint, common complaints about the sector that there's not enough innovation or things don't move quickly enough. And um, and I think some of that just stems from experiences Tony was mentioning of like, it's hard to take a bold step forward or say something because, you know, you don't have a bottom line to point to, to say, well, I earned X profit this year. And so it's, there's like this, um, this desire to make sure you're just holding on to what you already have. We got to keep that grant we're already getting. I don't want to lose that one big donor um, and these things that are keeping your organization alive to do the work that's a bit disconnected from your operations. Like I just always found that a fundamentally fascinating component of the nonprofit sector of just how different that business model is um, and some of the behavior it can generate in, in situations that is not as productive. Um, no, look, a lot of the things that show up in the sector, I think that are different from a more corporate style business, I think are positive, like more group decision-making, like more engaging with people's emotions. Like there are things that are good, but it's been interesting to observe some of that behavior, which I think limits the um, engagement in LinkedIn, which is perceived as risky. And that's well said, Mitch. And that that risk aversion is something, you know, I'm, I now suddenly find myself building a business, helping law firms lever, leverage the platform and totally fell into that. This, if you had told me 18 months ago that this was a way that somebody could make money, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have understood what you were talking about. So the fact that this is what I'm doing for a living now um, is still peculiar to me, but um a, that that question of or the way that we almost all of us think about the platform initially uh, is as a place where we can get in trouble, right? Where it's a just how 
how do I do what I have to do? Because we all feel like we have to be there, right? Everybody's there because we feel like we need to be. How do I do it in a way that I don't get fired or yell at or look stupid? I know that was a huge problem for me is that if I was to post during my 12 or 13 years litigating, it was, am I going to write, if I was going to write something, it was going to be about the law. And then it was, how am I going to write something about the law that's smart enough that I'm not going to look like an idiot when I, when I put this out in public. Um, so I'm Tanya with what you're doing, uh, where, you know, we're, we're playing similar roles in these two yeah. industries that are, um, risk averse. And I, I think the nonprofit sector is probably more risk averse for the reasons that Mitch just articulated, but how are you finding the experience? Cause it seems like this is part has been an evolution, you know, that the magic eye dynamic where it seems like this is something that you're noticing energy around and you've been leaning into more over the last year. And I don't know if that's right, but I think that's right. Um, so like, what is, what are you seeing um, in terms of, kind of where the energy is going, who's coming to you wanting to, to yeah. say, take a crack at it. Yeah. Well, you know, there's this quote that I love. I say it all the time. It's by our, you know, fairy godmother, Brene Brown. And, <laughs> and it's one day we'll tell the story of what you overcame and it will become someone else's survival guide. Right. And that's why I think that storytelling on LinkedIn is so powerful because no one can argue with you. Uh, no one can argue with you about your story. Like your, your story happened, your lived experience happened. And so I think for anybody who is worried about like, oh, what if I post about this and the grant gets taken away? Or what if I get in trouble? I mean, the thing is, no one can argue with you about your story. And like the, that's why I think that this is such a powerful tool for people in the nonprofit field is it's because like true leadership is not always found, like I alluded to earlier, it's not always found behind the podium or in the halls of Congress or at the boardroom table, right? Um, I think true leadership is found like in the ER bed, right? It's found in the emergency housing shelter. It's found in the refugee camp. Like it's those stories. It's those lived pieces that are going to provide the solutions to get us out of our world's biggest problems. And so if we're not sharing them, like we're losing out on the, the lived experience that will get us to where we want to go. And so, you know, and to answer your question as well, I, you know, I worked for an addiction treatment center. It was a 12 step based program. And so there was a lot of storytelling. There was a lot of sharing of like the days of when folks were in their addiction. And so there's a lot of vulnerability that was practiced. And yet when it was translated into an online space, um, people weren't always able to share their stories with the same level of vulnerability. And I totally get that because it's, you, you don't see, you don't know who's reading it necessarily. But I think that if we choose to work in social impact, we are choosing to work on a misunderstood or a stigmatized issue. And I, I know Mitch and I have kind of talked about this a little bit in the past around storytelling. And, you know, if they weren't misunderstood, there'd be plenty of funding. There'd be plenty of grant support. There'd be plenty of people showing up and saying, yes, I'm going to support this cause. And so I think that we have to look at LinkedIn as a tool to break those stigmas and to bring more understanding and awareness um, as almost part of our mission. You know, um, when I started working in addiction treatment, I remember going to events and people would ask me like, why should I give to this cause when these people are just choosing to ruin their lives, right? And I don't think I would hear that now, you know, this was like in the 2000s, but part of that happened from people sharing their stories on LinkedIn and otherwise, right? And so I think if somebody's struggling with, gosh, it's so risky to get out there, it can be risky, but I think it's worth the risk because it will it will create the conditions, right, that you're trying to create through your organization, through your work. Did that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I guess I'm a person who has a relatively high risk tolerance in general. Would you call yourself a person with a high risk tolerance? You know, after I left, so this is interesting because after I left my full-time nonprofit role and became a consultant, my risk tolerance went way up. You know, it was definitely yeah. lower when I was, you know, fully employed. Yeah. Well, and I wonder about that because when we, 
when we're saying like, oh, if I say something wrong, I might get a grant pulled. Uh, yeah, obviously it's important not to dismiss that out of hand as though you're just being alarmist. I, that could happen. Like that, that, that has happened, right? That's, that's a legit concern. Um, and I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to express to, to lawyers who talk to me about being a, afraid of saying anything is like mm -hmm. the, there's a distance between where you are and the point where your world is going to come crashing down around you. Like there's, there's yes. a distance and chances are it's a pretty broad gap between the two and see, but there's that this, this trick and Mitch alluded to it a few moments ago about not seeing the upside, that the upside is kind of hard that all you see is the potential downside of contributing mm -hmm. to conversations. Um, but the upside, I mean, for me, it's been totally life-changing and Tanya, yeah. it looks like for you, it's been um, really dramatic as well. And Mitch, you, you got LinkedIn famous like overnight. In a way, that's <laughs> Tony. Can I tell a quick story? Because it's it's exactly what Tanya is alluding to, and I just thought of this example that is so perfect that I think helps people reframe that fear of downside. Um, I saw a there was a founder, woman of color in my hometown in Indiana, um, who started an organization around providing proper. Uh, mental health care to communities of color that wasn't was underserved in in the city started from scratch a founder um, you know that makes it really hard to get grants when you're a new organization um, and I'd always seen them be really active on LinkedIn and I loved all the stuff they put out and one day they posted a denial letter from a foundation um, that pretty explicitly and like alarmingly said like we don't value what you're doing like we don't think that people of color need specific services or we don't see any, it was like shocking how much they just dismissed the value of the organization. And this person like blotted out any identifying information and they posted the grant response on their LinkedIn. And like, number one, sharing a failure, they didn't get their grant that they applied for. Number two, like putting something out there that you could think like maybe other people will agree with them. They'll, they'll think that, my organization isn't worthy or that this, what the work we're doing isn't valuable. Um, and I, I don't remember exactly what they said, but something to the effect of like, some days you get responses like this and like, it just, we have to stay committed, et cetera, et cetera. I heard maybe two weeks later, just talking to another person and they, obviously a bunch of people engaged and they got a lot of positive support and feedback, but behind the scenes, they got grants from other organizations and family foundations from people who saw that and said, that's not right. Like, I do believe in what you do. And one of my, um, one of the investors I was talking to was like, oh, I saw that post and I immediately wrote them a large mm -hmm. donation. And so I think that captures the, like, what you're afraid of. You're, you're going, there is upside because you might lose a funder who doesn't believe in you and gain 10 more by putting yourself and who you are out there and attracting the right connections. I'm just smiling from ear to ear because that's a perfect example, Mitch. That's a perfect example. And if I had seen that post, what I would have wanted to do as just as someone who's not a funder, but as someone who's just a community member is I would have gone in and tagged like 10 funders who should know about this organization. That's that would have been my immediate response of what I would want to do. So you're 100 percent right. You're you're attracting the people who believe in your mission so much. And you're and, you know, so a long time ago, I went to a training by Lynn Twist, who wrote The Soul of Money. And she's an incredible fundraiser. She raised money for Mother Teresa, just an amazing person to uh, to follow and get to know. But she talked about how she once gave up like a million dollar donation because it was given to them with with not the right intention. Right. It was a it was a corporation who gave money just to like um, make themselves look good, but they were actively creating products that harmed the community that that check would support. Right. And so she said, no, thank you. And as a result, like so much opened up for them afterwards, like energy wise, abundance wise. So I just really love that example, Mitch. I'm so glad you shared that. It's such a good story. And I I find that to be to have been true in my own in my own case, right? Where 
when I started posting, which was maybe 15 months ago, um, you know, it was after leaving the practice of law and man, I sort of had a lot of the downsides taken. I was no longer worried about being fired. It was like my new employer was number one, a good friend. And number two, the guy who said, you need to learn how to do LinkedIn. So like I, I had a lot of support, but, um, but it was only by starting to do the thing that those upsides have the opportunity to present themselves in a way that's really, there, there's no way to see it before you actually start doing it. But whenever I hear somebody talking about a downside, like, I mean, with one, one that I've heard from more than one industry is like around talent, you know, that if, if you have your employees out on LinkedIn, it's going to make them more visible and somebody may come take them from you. For me, it, it's like, how, how powerful can LinkedIn be as a talent tool, as an attractor of the right kind of people, uh, in a, in a thing that's so hard, hiring is so hard. It's so hard to, to find, to get, and to keep the right people that to me, like that's an aspect of where the upside just blows the downside out of the water. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're we're circling around several examples of just really clear scarcity versus abundance mindset. And they're like two sides of the same coin um, that all these examples have been. I mean, around hiring, like if you have an, an, an employer who is worried about their staff posting on LinkedIn because they might lose them, instead of saying, having them active and sharing is going to bring us business and more potential candidates. Like that's a small minded manager or business owner. So like, again, back to like, if that's the case, then you might not want to work for them and probably should be looking for a new job anyway, if you're going to get in trouble for being active on LinkedIn. Um, the other thing that I think has come through through these examples is like, and, and you'd mentioned Brene Brown, there's an awesome quote that I remember her saying that was that vulnerability is not the opposite of boundaries. So like we all have boundaries and they're different for different people and they can often correlate to privilege too, by the way. And I, I know Tanya, I've heard her talk about this, that that's like a huge barrier to a lot of the clients that she works with too. But I think finding that right boundary for yourself and start, maybe it's just about starting small um, and not going, you know, as personal or as deep, but just getting yourself active and, and growing from there. I think is big and look like that person who posted the grant re uh, rejection, they probably were thinking in their head, like, screw these people. I hate them. You know, like, of course we all <laughs> think those things and probably what they were actually thinking when they read it. But I'm sure they took like a day or two or took a beat. They wrote it. Like what I'll always do is if I have like a spicy or a fiery thing that I want to write down, I always will just write it and like walk away for a bit. And sometimes I just like move it to the side. And I always ask the question, like, who is this serving? If, if it's just a rant and it's not serving anyone, then maybe all I needed to do is write it down. But if there's like a greater purpose or maybe I just soften the edges a little bit and I can post it and not go too far. But I think vulnerability on LinkedIn as a professional site does have a balance and that is different for everyone's comfort level and um, kind of how they show up. Well said, 100%, 100%. And actually speaking to the piece about hiring, interestingly enough, I'm working on sort of a special project where I'm working with someone who has a large team and I'm interviewing each of those individual team members and sharing helping the um facilitating the co-creation of those of their stories for LinkedIn. So as a result, it's not just the CEO who's going to be sharing these stories, it's going to be the entire organization. They're all going to start getting active on LinkedIn. And it started. And we can already see the ripple effect that's happening as a result. Like it's it's bonkers. It's bananas, you know. Um but it requires, it requires boundaries. You're right. It's like, what are we going to talk about? What are we not going to talk about? Uh, like Mitch said, who is this serving? Is there somebody who will be served and supported and, and helped through maybe a behavior change or an action change through this content? I think that's a great question to ask ourselves. Well, what is the bonkers change that you're seeing in that organization? engagement, inquiries, people just saying things like, gosh, I'm literally saying things like, I'm so glad you're sharing more personal things on here, more personal stories on here. I've known you for 20 years. I had no idea that you did X, Y, and Z. Mm. It just opens up the relationship to so much more of a, 
of an actual relationship, right? Yeah. And how many people from that organization are doing this? 15. That's fantastic. I'm... I think that this is where the platform is going to go. Like, I I mean, well, it's going to go a lot of different directions, but this is one thing I'm particularly interested in. At Mission Matters Group, we were playing around with, there were five of us who posted consistently. And the uh, our ability to punch above our weight class in terms of brand awareness was just astonishing. Like just based on having a handful of people sharing like quality stuff, you know, real stuff, um, you know, the, the genuine authentic stories that we're talking about here. Uh, the upsides are just incredible. And I, I think there's so much potential and f- frankly, in a way that I'm, I'm shocked that almost nobody is doing it that, for, for exactly what you're saying, Tanya, that the lanes are wide open. Almost everybody on the platform has a feed that is relatively uninteresting in the sense that people think that you post job announcements and share company press releases on, on LinkedIn. And those things just inherently aren't very interesting. So if you're willing to share something like that's more personal, um, that's just going to be, we're people, we're interested in people, right? It's just going to be something that's going to get more attention. It's like as an organization, if you're able to encourage and empower your people to share their stories in a genuine way, the potential for, for raising your brand, for attracting talent, for attracting donors, for finding clients. I mean, it's, it's, it blows my mind just just thinking about it. And sometimes you're not going to see the effect of that right away. Like I remember posting when I got when I was still a nonprofit executive director and I was posting, you know, I would post and I wouldn't necessarily know the impact of something, but then I'd go to an in-person event and plenty of people would reference something that I had shared. And I was like, I didn't even know we were connected. You know what I mean? So your message is being heard. It's being seen. It's being it's being internalized, and that and I think the outcome of that is trust. You're building trust in a really scalable way through LinkedIn, whether you realize it or not. You took the word out of my mouth, Tanya. I was going to say, like, what we're all getting at is trust. You know, if you're, no matter what work you're doing, I don't know that I can think of an example of a job or a function that doesn't require trust or a company or an organization, and um, both internally and externally and how you engage. And um, I think in order to trust someone, you need to, first of all, know who they are. And just being active on LinkedIn, you're just top of mind and front of mind for people. They actually know who you are. And you need to know what they do, which again is another big hurdle of just like, you want everyone in your network to just literally know what it is that you do, which is not as obvious as you think. Our attention spans are really, really small. Um, and then third is know who you are, like know what you stand for, which right, that's when you like really start to build trust. And I think that the holy grail when someone is investing in LinkedIn to build their network and and personal brand, either for themselves or for a company, is you meet a new person and they tell you, I feel like I already know you because I follow you on LinkedIn. Like, wow, what a huge, you would have spent so much time in that initial meeting trying to build trust with someone and you already have a foundational connection where they think that they know who you are. And they do know who you are if you're, if you're, you know, being genuine and how you, and authentic and how you show up. And I think some people uh, don't, can't believe that that's true. They're like, oh, how could you do that in a genuine way? Or how could, like, that must be, you know, that's not a real thing, or that's awkward, that's cringy, and it's just not. No, that's really well said. Um, well, and Mitch, I wanted to to touch on where you're at at this point. So, you know, you put three years into Pond, and, and now you're you're kind of at this moment and where you, like you said, you sunsetted the platform last month um, and you were on your way to your next, I think you put the word adventure on your profile. I think that was there. Um, 
so I'm, I'd be interested to hear a little bit about okay, where you're at and, and how you're feeling about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I sort of made the decision to not um, jump into anything super quickly um, just to give myself some space. You know, when we go through uh, these big life changes or losses, um, I think it's tempting to just move on to the next thing. And I was trying to really, you know, be reflective and properly grieve and under, you know, just spend some time making space for that. Um, and look, that had a little bit of money left. I'm like, I, as I said to Tony earlier, I was like, I do need to start paying my bills. That is the, that is the one limiting factor on taking space to grieve these things, but certainly a, a bit of privilege to be able to take some of that time too. Um, but uh, I just decided once I put the word out about what happened that I was going to take basically any call. If someone wanted to talk or catch up, they had an idea or an opportunity or whatever. Um, and I had one person I started working with on their LinkedIn content, another founder, um, another woman in the social impact space, facing a lot of the challenges that Tanya mentioned um, about putting herself out there more. And so I, I just, that was kind of a side project to have something. And I just shared that with like everyone I was meeting with. And I probably talked to about 25 other founders. And I think basically 100% of them were like, wait a second, I, I would pay you to help me with my LinkedIn. And it was like, after spending three years finding, trying to find product market fit with a business um, and look, pro building products and software is, is different than a service business. But all of a sudden I was just like sitting back and taking it in and was like, hmm, <laughs> urgency, <laughs> like willingness to pay, you know, the, the things that you look for when starting a business or building a product were just like being thrown at me. Um, and so I'm, I'm figuring out exactly like what form that could take and exactly what that practice could look like. But um, I think with founders in particular, there's speaking of trust, the fact that I was in the trenches, did, did the thing fully, um, committed my whole life to that for three years. There's like a huge amount of trust, um, that's built up with people because thinking about partnering with someone on how you share your story, talk about being really vulnerable and you've got to tell them like, what are your, what is preventing you from sharing more? If you know that this is a huge asset and yet you're not doing it. Like the starting point is understanding why, like, what are your blockers? Is it just time? Are you intimidated? Do you not like writing? Um, you know, are you worried about what people think like, let's get down to that and make sure we're working on those. Um, and so, yeah, I'm taking it slowly and, and trying not to uh, fill my plate up too quickly as I'm very prone to do uh, as a consummate, people pleaser and overachiever. Um, and I'm just having fun with it, which I think is the most important thing after being really stressed for a really long time about how to get, you know, a product working. I'm, I'm enjoying, uh, this work and, and just helping people. That's so interesting that you would find yourself in a position to help, help founders with their LinkedIn presence as you're in conversation with a former litigator who found himself in that position and a former ED who found herself in that <laughs> position. And, and on one hand, there's something very funny about that, right? Where the the three of us find ourselves in the position where, like you're saying, Mitch, like, there's a very clear market for this. And frankly, it's I'm now into my third month of building this business. And I was kind of resistant to it, but frankly, the opportunity, the lane is so big and there's nobody, I, I, I almost have no competition that I, I couldn't turn it down. It was too good to turn down um, to, which speaks to your point where like, like I, I think pond is a really good idea. I think it makes a ton of sense. I can see how product market fit for that platform was an uphill battle like all the way. And so it's, it's, I would imagine there's something that feels tempting, very tempting about this, this opportunity that just seems so obvious but it, that taking a step back, it seems to me that 
the fact that the three of us are in this position is is a sign of kind of where things are going, which is to say that we're still at the front end of that bell curve in a way that like we're talking about Tanya, I, I love that you've got 15 people up and down an org um, post and that's, that's fantastic. I do think three years from now that I, I'm going to say, I think it's mainstream three years from now that that's happening and that where the numbers of people posting today, I don't you hear things of like under 5% of people of the 800 million plus on the pat platform contribute to conversations. What happens if that number goes to even 10%? It just, it's, it's, it's wild to think about. You know, that's, that's a great, I mean, that's 40 million people by my mass never by my strong suit, but yeah. Um, but it, it just seems like the the conversations are going to continue to get richer as we go along, and and hopefully more more diverse and and more just to the point that we go along that that the platform can have. Um, and I, I'm interested in your take on this, but it can have the word that comes to mind is a democratizing effect where it can lower the barrier for entry. Um, in a way that can, can, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm talking to two people, you know, Mitch, I know that you're, you've been really involved with gay rights organizations and Tanya as, as a person of color and a woman, like, I'm, I'm interested in your take on that aspect. Cause as a white dude who checks all of the privilege boxes, um, you know, I'm, I'm not in the best position to, to have, have a clear view on that. Well, I think it, you're absolutely right. I think it does democratize this concept of, you know, thought leadership, of visibility, because the reality is, you know, when I think of the movers and the shakers and the really the power brokers who can funnel resources and mobilize money to nonprofits, to social impact organizations, to just people doing good work, they're all on LinkedIn, right? VCs and, you know, and um, just all kinds of folks, Um and anybody can start a free profile, right? You don't even need a paid profile. You can just start showing up. And I do think we're at the beginning of the bell curve. Like you said, you know, time and time again, I'm talking to clients who are like, I had no idea this was all happening on LinkedIn. Like I have been sleeping on LinkedIn, like cool people are actually on here, you know, and it, there's this real perception of it being this sterile sort of like TikTok's grandpa, sort of like fluorescent, like, like just not, um, not a place that people hang out, but it's, it is um, not going to be a best kept secret for that much longer. I think, yeah, I think the floodgates are going to open. Tony, what you said about like democratizing work experience, I really liked, I hadn't thought about it in this way before, but I do think a lot of the reasons um, that we see these challenges with diversity and representation in different industries and roles is people don't have visibility into those roles. Both can't see themselves in the role and then they maybe don't even know what the work is like. And they're like, well, I could never do that. Or they just have, you know, that's what generates the imposter feelings. Um, and I think the more that people are showing up on LinkedIn and it becomes clear that no matter what role they're in, they're a human being and like that, that humanness comes across on the platform and breaking down some of those, we put up these walls to appear more professional to further our career, but we don't understand like the people we're leaving behind that can't see us in the process. Um, when I was still working in banking, I had the opportunity to work for the CEO uh, at Goldman for a year and a half and I ran his client strategy and I was like pretty young to be getting that job and um, just was, you know, a series of events that led to it, which you know, I'm really grateful for, but kind of by happenstance in a number of ways. And I left after a year and a half and he sort of had an exit interview with me and asked what I thought about the role. And the first thing I said to him was, um, well, the number one takeaway is that I know I can do your job. And he just sort of laughed at me. And I was like, I don't mean like right now, right? Or maybe not even at this company, but it made the idea of being the CEO of one of the biggest companies in the world 
not seem out of reach because you see that it's just like another human that you tell and yes they're smart and they worked hard and they put a lot of experience in but if i wanted to do that that that's just like another person you know that did this and i think um i love the idea of linkedin lending itself to providing us and like that was also you know one person gets to have that job every year or two as opposed to thousands or millions of people being able to see inside and understand it and feel capable of doing it I would love to see that as a more common outcome of the platform, you know, growing. Mm. And have, you know, one thing that I've been blown away by, you know, and Tanya, what you just mentioned about how it's not just TikTok's grandpa, you know, like the, the boring buttoned up thing that we all thought it was. And that's certainly what I thought it was until about it, you know, December of 2021. I've been blown away by how supportive and nourishing my community. And I do actually think of it as, as a community. I, I have a community on this platform, which I've never really been a social media guy. So, I mean, this, that's a peculiar experience for me. Um, but again, I know that my experience may not be, you know, like, because on the, the nerdiest or the most professional social network, you know, like the, the white guy with a bunch of degrees, you know, has advantages, right? Like as, as in most things in life. Right. But so I'm, I'm wondering about your take on that supportive nourishing dynamic. Like is, has that been your experience as well? Or am I, one thing I'm, I'm trying to explore with this podcast actually is, checking myself on, you know, like I, I try to come with optimism and with positivity. Um, and I want to, I want to be aware of just how rosy the, the glasses are that I'm wearing. Yeah. I mean, most definitely. So back in my days when I was at the, um, nonprofit, the addiction treatment center, part of my role at one point was to find, women in our community, our, our local community who are in recovery to come in and share their recovery story with our patients. And at first I thought, okay, let me find the people with the most recovery with like 50 years, like the old timers, right? Let me, let me find these people and bring them in. And so I would, and it was great, but I, over time I realized and found out that it wasn't actually the most helpful person for me to bring in was the person who graduated our program like a month ago and the person who was just like slightly ahead of the journey because they were relatable, right? They were going through the same things. They were trying to figure out how to find childcare for the AA meeting, right? They were trying to find all of those types of things. And so I think that LinkedIn lends itself to being such a powerful community builder because we are all sharing what we are learning. We are sharing what we're going through. We're sharing you know, at least if we're, you know, doing LinkedIn in the way that we've been talking about, you know, we're, we're sharing what's, what's really going on and sharing what it's like to be a human in our, in our space right now. And so I think that people see that and want to build community because of that, you know, um, I have definitely found a powerful community on LinkedIn, people that I sometimes forget I've never met in real life because that relationship is so strong. And I think, you know, I've heard you talk, Tony, about like the the matrix quality of LinkedIn. Like if I have a very close friend, like actually, so Jess Campbell's a close friend of mine in real life. Like she and I both kind of like we're in the Cali like Southern California nonprofit community. We both became consultants. She was a consultant first. I reached out to her. And most of the relationships I've made, if I really think about it, have come from being like that matrix type quality of they were connected with her first she would comment on my stuff and other people found out about my work through that like john and becky for example who introduced me to you mitch and tony i don't know exactly how we got connected but i think it's somehow through jess as well so i think it was through jess yeah 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 exactly so yeah a hundred percent i found linkedin to be a such a powerful link uh, community builder and i hope it never changes and just to get Tony to your like specific question on, um, you know, if there's a, a privilege element into feeling that way, um, I'd actually, I'd argue uh, kind of the opposite in these, uh, a marginalized or underrepresented group. 
um, are no longer underrepresented on LinkedIn. And so it actually, if you are within one silo at a company and you feel underrepresented because maybe you're the only gay person there, um, once you start sharing on LinkedIn, you start to see that there are people everywhere. And so I think it actually can be a really powerful way to find community within, um, you know, within those spaces and get that support. And guess what? A lot of times, like I would have people, I would post something about, my experience, you know, I'm on the board at the LGBT center and I've done a ton of fundraising for them and for the Northeast AIDS ride and, um, did a lot of work around LGBT representation when I was working at Goldman and, um, I'll, I'd share things about that. And I'd have people like message me, but they wouldn't like, or comment the post, you know? So like it was their level of comfort and how they engaged. And it was just a good reminder that like, even if someone's not necessarily, not necessarily liking something or commenting or, or whatever, um, that it's helping someone and like they're appreciating it. And when, you know, you need help or you post something where you're seeking some support, like those are the people that show up because they really appreciate how you made them feel seen um, in this like collective professional setting on LinkedIn that they don't normally get within a more isolated um, work setting. That's such a good point, Mitch. I love that. I remember, um, in 2020, I started, um, finding groups online that, um, were part that, that were related to my profession, but that were for people of color. And I had never been in spaces like that before prior to 2020. Like one is community centered fundraising. They had a BIPOC kind of group within that. And then another was sort of this like, mm, sort of committee that was created in the addiction treatment space. And I remember being on Zoom specifically and just being, there were so many people in those groups that I would have to like hit like next page, next page, next page. And it was such a beautiful thing to see myself reflected back. And I think you're totally right. I think you're totally right. Um, LinkedIn creates spaces where those groups can really be and gather and stay connected. So, yeah. Mm. That's really uh, encouraging and heartening that, that take. And I have, I've really appreciated how the, how the platform manages to not descend into the cesspool that it seems that other platforms seem to suffer from. And, and it's not entirely clear why that is. It seems the identity that we're all who we say we you know that you know who people are i think that probably really contributes and also the fact that it is the professional quote unquote network seems like it may help that we're just going to be on our better behavior um do either of you have any thoughts on on that on what what makes this well if you you may not think it's different than other platforms but like why why you see that as the being the case I can start off with with two things I've noticed. One is I think because you are generally operating within a community of first degree connections. And so it's not going out to like, I mean, obviously anyone can see things you, you post, but in general, it seems to really focus on connections of connections. And so it's all kind of centered around a community you already have, which like by and large, that doesn't lend itself to people like yelling at each other, you know, if it's like within a community of people that you know, or kind of know, or are loosely connected to. Um, and then I, I think it's also that professional, like you said, there's certainly most people want to maintain a professional amount of decorum within the platform because it feels related to their job versus just something personal where it doesn't matter at all. I will say the exception is, which leads to getting out of your close community. I've had a couple posts that have gone kind of viral. Um, I, the most was I, I, right after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which is like similar to Tanya's story, very hot button issue to be posted about on LinkedIn. But I just shared the fact that it was announced like the same day on, I think it was the six year or seven year anniversary of um, the Supreme Court legalizing gay marriage and how there was like this it was pride weekend and this huge amount of joy around that decision and now this like kind of sadness and like cloud over the weekend 
because of the road decision. And I remember I was literally like walking to meet a friend and I just within 10 minutes was just feeling so upset about it. And I just like on my phone, I typed this up. And then the next morning I decided to post it. Um, and it went like super viral, it had like 200,000 <laughs> impressions or something like 2000 people liked it. But I think once you get into that arena, oh yeah, I started to get like hateful comments from people and stuff. And I looked at it and I was like, I guess that I mean, people are, if you have haters, I guess that means you've made it. So people care enough to like, <laughs> it didn't bother me, but I can see how it would bother, it could bother people, but you don't come across that very much on the platform. Right. And I think there's a third thing, and and that's the actual way that LinkedIn has set itself up, which is that um, you know other platforms are you know their their primary revenue stream is um, ad spend like ads advertising, whereas on LinkedIn they get a great amount of revenue from paid memberships, and so it behooves them to keep the platform pretty chill, pretty civil. They don't necessarily want it to get. Uh, into like a, you know, a flinging contest, right? Because it would upset the paying members. And honestly, I, I, yeah, I think that's really smart. Mitch, I feel like you told me that though. I think you told me that last year. Maybe it was Joey Zamaya who you introduced me to. Yeah, I think the diversified revenue stream is huge. And the fact that they uh, did that early on, you know, you've seen Twitter now try to do that now. And it's like, it doesn't have the same kind of value because people aren't using it in the same way. Um, but yeah, I think that's your spot on. Um, and I, and I think, I mean, obviously I don't know how they build their algorithm, but I've just at noticed when something does get more political or someone's posted a more kind of like, maybe not hateful, but like aggressive take, it just doesn't, those things don't perform as well. I just think that the algorithm, unlike Facebook and Instagram, which were like built for virality at all costs. And like, that's how these algorithms were trained. So if you see that something insightful makes it go viral. So then of course you're going to favor that more in the, you know, and it adds onto itself. Whereas I imagine LinkedIn from the beginning was built with that, you know, professional purpose in mind. And so the algorithm was just structured differently, not as a like go viral social media platform. Yeah. I think that's, I have a curiosity. I have a curiosity, Mitch, when you got the, and I, and maybe there were so many comments that it was impossible to do that. But when you got a couple of haters in your comments, what I would assume is your community would come in and almost like defend you for you. And that's the other power, the powerful piece of the LinkedIn community. Like, I think that taking risks on LinkedIn is okay, because you've got that community around you that will lift you up if the haters do come. Yeah, spot on. You're right. I remember there were like people going like throwing bows in the comment section, <laughs> like with people, which was, it was cool to see. And I just, I always, um, I just take, I'm like a high road approach person. If someone puts something out there that I view as like at all negative, I just ignore it. If it's like really inflammatory or going to be hurtful to someone else, I'll delete it. But otherwise I'm just like, I won't engage. Um, but you're totally right. It was really cool to see. Hmm. As promised, it's been a meandering conversation. I want to be mindful of your time. Um, we could do this for another couple hours, no problem. <laughs> I uh, I really appreciate both you joining me. Um, aside from obviously your LinkedIn profiles are going into the uh, show notes, and I, Mitch, by the time this thing drops, which I think is going to be a little more than two weeks from now. You may have already figured your next adventure out. You may have already been <laughs> updated. I saw on LinkedIn, but uh, is there anywhere else you you'd like to direct people to learn more about you or what you do? No, LinkedIn it is. <laughs> Perfect on brand for the podcast, uh, Tanya. <laughs> You know, definitely LinkedIn, but I would say the only other place would be maybe my podcast. I have a podcast called The Campfire Circle, which is very much, you know, like Linky Land in that it's trying to explore a form of leadership where the boardroom table is not necessarily the ultimate form of it, but instead a place where we gather to share stories, where there's space for everyone, where we build community, right? And I think LinkedIn is one of those types of spaces. And just trying to build more campfire circles out there in the world. So that would be the only other place. Beautiful. We will link to your podcast as well. And it's one that I uh, 
I've appreciated getting to know as well. So uh, thank you both for doing this. This was really fun. Thanks for having awesome. us, Tony. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode that is in the books. So you know where to go find Tanya and Mitch to learn more about them or connect with them on LinkedIn. Uh, I do recommend Tanya's podcast, Campfire Circle. It's it's really delightful. Otherwise, um, in the creative arena, my book on creativity is available on Amazon. The link is in the show notes to that as well. And I think that's probably about enough. Well, I will ask if you'd be up for leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out. All right. See you out there. Till next time.